this week, we've spent a lot of time uh, talking about international students. I mean, you walk anywhere in the Lower Mainland, whether it's downtown or a suburban shopping mall, you go to the food court, you see so many international students working behind the counter, gas stations, uh, everywhere uh, you see international students. Uh, and they certainly are having an impact on our economy. As I've said earlier, t- t- this year, over 900,000 international students are expected to arrive uh, in uh, in Canada and they will spend between 20 to $30 billion. Uh, 10 years ago, about 230,000. We were averaging about 230,000 students and they're spending about $8 billion. So you've seen a significant increase in international student population. That's having an impact on our post-secondary institutions. Uh, because international students pay more, of course, that means uh, those schools are relying on those fees more and more to a subsidize domestic students, or in some cases, the school itself, uh, you know, they, they need those dollars. In Ontario, uh, last week, we learned that for the first time in that province's history, international students will pump the same amount of dollars into their college system as much as the provincial government. We're not there yet. I think we're around uh, 25 to 32%. We hover around there. We're not there, but we're getting there. Uh, And many have said uh, that if the Liberal government were to cut back on international students, they've certainly hinted at that, including Sean Fraser, the housing minister, uh, public safety minister, Dominic LeBlanc, and immigration minister, Mark Miller. If you do so, that is going to impact the bottom line of a lot of colleges who have become so reliant on international students. Well, all this week, we've had our next guest join us and could be knowledgeable about the about the issue and uh, continues to do a lot of research on the issue as well. His name is Barge Dahani. He's a co-founder and director of the Canada-India Education Society. Barge, thank you for coming by once again. Good to be here with you. Yeah, it's we were going to do one segment. Here we are uh, once again chatting. Now, we've talked about colleges and their reliance, uh, students and what they pay. But one of the things we haven't talked about is employment. Now, these students... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, when the rules have now changed, but initially you could be an international student, pay those fees, and you could still work 20 hours a week maximum. That's correct. Prior to COVID, it was 20 hours per week that international students could work. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, they could only work on campus. So then after COVID, it was all opened up so students can work anywhere up to 40 hours. Up to 40 hours. Wow. Um, Do you think that changes the very nature of international students? Are they here for an education? Are they here to eventually become permanent residents or citizens here? And that and, and that's why they're coming, plus working 40 hours a week. There's been a very significant shift in the type of international students who are coming into Canada and British Columbia now. Uh, going back about three years ago, many were coming into our publicly funded institutions, our universities and colleges, mm-hmm. sincerely wanting to be educated, and with the hope that they will become permanent residents. In the last two years, it's more the private colleges that are enrolling large numbers of international students, and they're coming primarily to work, and through work, they're hoping that someone will sponsor them through the labor market impact assessment where an employer can hire foreign students or foreign workers, Mm -hmm. and then get them through the process for PR. That is what is going on, uh, so it's uh, it's a huge problem. Mm-hmm. I think this well-intentioned international education policy that we had was good. Now we're dealing with unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that it's now corrupt, corruption at all levels. Mm-hmm. It's become a nexus between 
recruiters, international recruiters in Canada and overseas, mm-hmm. immigration consultants, notary publics, rogue employers, and these private institutions, there are almost 240 of them. All they have to do is offer a six-month teaching program, and then these students get a study permit from the federal government. Hmm. And a lot of those students may complete their six-month course, then they're working, many don't complete, and then they enter into the labor market. So uh, if yours truly here set up uh, a college, I call it, uh, you know, I just I call it downtown Vancouver College, would it be difficult for me to set up a college, private college? Well, you still have to go through the approval process. That approval is done through the BC government, mm-hmm. the Private Institutions Act. The, 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 uh, what, what a lot of these private institutions are looking for mm-hmm. is that designated learning institute number from the provincial governments. It's the provincial governments that give that or the, our territorial governments. Then they're allowed to enroll students from overseas. But from a regulatory framework, what the fees are, how many students they can enroll, there is no control. Um, now, when uh, these schools are set up then, uh, you know, you, as you say, you can work uh, as well. Uh, and the schools themselves, and we'll get to the work for a second, the schools themselves, are they generally owned and operated by local people or, or are they uh, sort of part of a chain? Are they international? Some, some of them are locally owned. I would say many of them are. Some are now being purchased by overseas investors who have schools in uh, home countries and they're trying to now connect a school in a home country and a school in Canada. Money being made both ways. Some, are, uh, some have multiple campuses. There are a number of uh, private schools, so-called colleges, I would say, mm-hmm. training institutes. There are multiple campuses throughout Metro Vancouver. You go to, onto their websites, you can't figure out what they're going to charge for what program. So there's zero accountability. Hmm. And I think the, the, where I talk about corruption here is that in Canada f- over the last 12 years, the number of private training institutes have grown phenomenally. Mm-hmm. There are 240-some-odd in British Columbia. There are another 400-some-odd in, in Ontario. And they are the ones that are doing the heavy recruiting. Mm-hmm. And no one is talking about that part. We're only talking about the publicly funded institutions or universities and colleges, the fee structures that they charge. So I just want to touch on you saying that there are international buyers as well. So you could be in, uh, recruiting students in India, and that may be your head office, and trying to convince them to come to Vancouver to learn, uh, assuming that they can get uh, their PR one day. So you've got that entire pipeline of access to students, recruitment of students, getting to live here, charge them $20,000 a year, $30,000 a year. And it's all just, it's circular then, right? You, you control all the sort of levers and routes to Canada. It is circular. It's uh, well-coordinated. There are many, many people that are involved in this. There, there's also an informal network and a formal network. And the governments here, all levels of governments, do not have um, enough resources to police, to monitor, to track. Uh, Is the federal government tracking these students from overseas with study permits? Where are they studying? Do they leave after their study permits expire? 
and I would argue vast majority of them do not leave. They're in the underground economy mm-hmm. and rogue employers are involved. Letters of employment are being sold for 500 to 5,000. Students are going into some rogue employers where they're working. Employers saying, we'll get a labor market impact assessment from the federal government, which allow us to hire foreign workers, then we'll take you to the... P- those spots are being sold for $50,000 throughout wow. the country. Just joining us, we are speaking to Baraj Dahan, co-founder and director of the Canada India Education Society. We're talking about international students. We've been talking about international students all week. Uh, today's focus is more so just on uh, employers, rogue employers, as Baraj uh, called them, but the nexus between employers, notaries, immigration consultants, even um, you know recruiters from abroad. Uh, so call us on the open line. Love your thoughts on what we need to be doing with international students in this country. 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell phone. Uh, let's go to Raj in Surrey. Hi, Raj. Hi, Jez. Um, I have a couple of comments to make on the international students. Mm-hmm. The first one is the sco- the private colleges that bring the students here. We actually know someone that came in from India, went to registered with a private college, and then when he came to Canada, he wanted to move colleges mm-hmm. to a different mm-hmm. one. Uh, he paid thirteen thousand dollars tuition fees just at the first college. When he told them that he's deciding to move, they did not refund a penny. And their citation, uh, what they tried to tell him was, it was the provincial government's legislation that's protecting them from returning that money. So they took $13,000 and gave his seat to another student, probably. So that's $26,000 they've made in one semester. Wow. And there's no, I mean, I'm surprised that there wouldn't be some accountability for that. I mean, uh, you know, you'd want to protect, uh, you don't want the, the college to be abused either. But I, to say the provincial legislation protects them from not returning dollars is absolutely ridiculous. I, 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 he, can the person go to their MLA or member of parliament? Uh, did they do anything like that? They didn't. I personally have email exchanges with the school themselves. But there is a point where you have had email exchanges and then you give up. So this individual just gave up and he said, you know, I'll just forget about it. He still moved colleges. Um, You know, the only reason was he saved some time in his studies with the structure of a different school. Mm -hmm. He still went on his study permit, uh, you know, and is currently studying. So it wasn't like it was sort of like a fraud kind of thing where he just came to Canada on his study permit. He just continued with updating his status with Immigration Canada. So it is unfortunate students are being taken advantage by these private institutions. Yeah, Raj, thanks for your call. Appreciate it. Yeah, that's one where you just think of common sense they'd get some money back. But classic example of of where I think a lot of students, especially when you're new to a country, you don't know where to turn, where to go. Uh, Let's go to Nick in Surrey. Hi, Nick. Hi. I had a couple of comments and maybe a question here. My concern is that all these foreign students are coming. Great opportunities for education. But it's at the expense of our children that cannot get seats in educational facilities anymore. And these third parties or these employers that are basically getting paid by the students to work are essentially taking jobs away from our students and senior citizens that cannot get these side-by-side or part-time jobs. The institutions, like our politicians, being bought out by foreign interests and everybody's profiting off the back of regular Canadians and taking away opportunities from regular people that are working in this country. I can't afford to send my kid to a foreign country for school. And therefore, 
what do I do? Yeah, Nick, thanks you for your call. I mean, first of all, a lot of these people that are coming are not rich. They, they, they are mortgaging everything to get here. Um, I don't think they're taking spaces. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, Barge. They're not taking spaces from domestic students. In fact, they are paying so much it subsidizes the domestic students. Not, the, the increases in their tuition aren't uh, significant or at least haven't been significant. Um, but it does speak to our public institutions relying on increasingly that international student's tuition to pay for the system itself. You're absolutely right. It's the international students that are paying a larger portion of the tuition fees to our public institution. That's happening. Then there's the private ones that I keep talking about. Yeah. That is, that is where the problem lies. And what we've seen is, I think it's been a consistent, deliberate privatization of our post-secondary education. It's a provincial responsibility. Mm -hmm. That's what two or three like Ontario and BC have been doing since the last 15 years. And uh, and so, so one of the unintended consequences of this right now is that our public institutions are being beaten up on because now people are finding out, look at the the, the amount of tuition fee they're charging international students, up to 10 times what the domestic students are paying. And you and I, as well as vast majority of Canadians, universities and colleges were built on our tax dollars. Yeah. And today, the universities and, and colleges are at risk in the future. Just joining us, we are speaking to Baraj Dahan, co-founder and director of the Canada-India Education Society. We're talking about international students uh, actually being taken advantage of in many cases, especially with uh, some rogue employers. Uh, we were planning to wrap up the old segment at, uh, right before the 4.30 news, but a lot of calls on this issue. Uh, I know, George, you've been uh, hanging on through the news. I appreciate your patience. What's on your mind? Yeah, I would like to ask Bart if he agrees with me that the liberals, the federal liberals, know exactly what is going on. They actually even encourage it because it is a proven fact, like me as an immigrant that came here many years ago, legally, um, that anyone who gets a visa from the government in power tends to vote for the government in power. So if they are making it easier for them to break the law but stay here, etc., etc., this is you know, guaranteed vote for them. Now, if the conservatives were to ask questions and criticize this, they would immediately attack them as racist. What do you think, Bart? George, uh, thanks for your call. Uh, he's got a point. I mean, many people I've certainly have said, look, in the last three or four years of all the international students that have come here, it's a guaranteed base for the Federal Liberal Party for a generation or two moving forward. I, I think the caller is uh, right. I think there has been a serious political consideration in terms of opening up more and more students to come into, into Canada. Uh, the point being is, uh, what is our political consideration? One is our Canadian GDP was not growing. It's stagnant. So this $30 billion is probably 2% uh, to the GDP increase. Okay? Mm. So that, that's one political consideration. The other thing is the, the privatization that's going on across the country in a post-secondary education. Mm -hmm. So there is also a political intention there. And then the, I, I personally have a question why in the last year and a half, the number, the percentage of international students coming from India has now exceeded 40% of all, all mm -hmm. international students in the country? Is there a 
political intention behind that? I'm thinking that those, a lot of them are coming from North India, Punjab specifically, that they eventually would be long-term federal liberal voters, uh, especially in southern Ontario and, and uh, Calgary, Edmonton, and of course here in the metro Vancouver area. That is certainly one philosophy, one uh, assertion many people have made. In regards, I want to get back to the employers for a second. So if I'm hired as an international student, and it is a rogue employer in the sense that you know, we'll pay you $3,000 a month, Jazz. Welcome to Canada, uh, 40 hours a week. Oh, by the way, uh, you're going to have to give us back $1,000 of that in cash uh, because we're going to help you uh, uh, sort of move forward in your journey to becoming a permanent resident. Is that fair comment that some of these employers are doing that? That's, uh, that's happening a lot. So a student goes looking for a job. Yeah. They're legally allowed to work now. Yeah. And then they go to an employer who says, yeah, I'll hire you. I'll pay you this, and you pay me a certain amount back in cash. And then I'll apply for a labor market impact assessment, Mm -hmm. which is a federal government process for Canadian employers who cannot find Canadian employees so that they can recruit now internationally. So that's the promise. And for that promise, Mm -hmm. there's also a fee involved, and that fee is up to $50,000, And some students and their families are willing to pay for it because their dream is to become a permanent resident. So this is predominantly happening for those kids that are going through private schools. So every step of the way of the immigration process, there is a transaction that will get you to the next step or will attempt to get you to the next step. But there's a cost to that. And you're going to pay me under the table, whatever that may be. And everybody knows that. I would argue Mm -hmm. that many of the international students... Their families, the families who send them here, know that it's a transactional relationship and it is a nexus today and they are willing participants in this. Uh, let's go to Adam in Langley. Hi, Adam. Hey, Jen. What a great conversation. Thanks for hearing all the sides to this. Um, my perspective might be a little bit different than others. Um, so hear me out on this. I look at this... You know, I think immigration is, you know, you've talked about it before. It's essential to the growth and success of our country. That's just statistically true. Um, Where I think maybe a little bit differently is my concern with, with it is the role of every government, similar to the role of any CEO, is to take care of their business, their country, make it as good as they can make it. Coca-Cola doesn't care about Pepsi. Canada needs to make sure that what we are doing is strengthening our country. Um, My concern is that we're educating um, a lot of people who are coming to our country, which is fantastic, but then if if they're leaving again, so for example, I'll use China as an example. Mm -hmm. We know politically they're not our greatest ally, let's be honest. So are we educating people just to send them back with the skills that we've created to a, a place that's not going to be investing? I think there should be some sort of commitment period of time that you need to stay and and give back to the country to get your education from. Yeah, and that's a good point, Adam. Uh, I would argue that most probably stay, or a good chunk of them, and I think that's the what past history has told us. But when you look at these private schools that Brad, you're talking about, this is strictly for uh, your permanent residency and those ed- the education they're getting, I'm not even sure it's worth much. Not all, not all, not all schools, mind you, but in, in, in a lot of cases, it ain't worth much. Well, there's a statistics that's put, put out there uh, by, by the government, by others as well, that over the last 10 years, only three out of 10 international students have got permanent mm-hmm. residency. Okay, they are going back then. Well, we don't know. Hmm. Uh, some are going back, but many are staying here in a roundabout way. 
Okay. So without the degree or without whatever, whatever they've studied, they're not using it. It's, it's a part to them. It's a step towards the permanent residency is what they care about, not the education per se. Well, I mean, the governments can have resources to track international students, how many stay, how many get permanent residency, what kind of work they're getting. But that data, to my knowledge, is not available. Uh, uh, Jason, you've been uh, hanging on. We got about thirty seconds. What's on your mind? CIBT. Sorry, could you repeat that they, again? Yeah, CIBT. They're one of the big people that are behind the scenes that are running the industry in Canada. You're but talking about private realize, schools. Private schools. They are the private school. They are the. Uh, they own Sprott Shaw, and in their organization, they probably have. 1,500 units, like apartment build, apartment rooms for foreign students only. Jason, I appreciate your call. I appreciate your call, but I'm not going to be uh, making any allegations against any private school unless there's specific proof. I understand uh, some of them are very well known, uh, but we're not going to make allegations unless we have proof. So uh, I do appreciate your call. Thank you so much. Uh, Barge, we got 30 seconds in a very short way. What are the two or three bullet points you would want to see legislators bring in to fix this? Regulate. Bring in regulations on fees that right now there's no regulation. So the uh, maximum amount set. Maximum from, amount set. Okay. That would be one of them. Yeah. Set limits on number of international students coming into the country. And that's a federal responsibility. Okay. Set targets or limits on source countries. Don't have one country sending, you know, uh, adding up to 40% or plus of mm-hmm. the international students in the country. There's no diversity in the classrooms. You can go to some of our community colleges, which are public. All the classrooms are full with students only from one country. Barge, thank you so much for your time. We've run out of time. Uh, may I have you back soon on this one. <laughs> There's so many different uh, ways to go on this issue. Really, thank you for your time today. Thank you for having me, Jazz.